Folks, welcome in to the 7 o'clock hour live here on the Big 550 KTRS. Brendan Weesey, sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Ben Fredrickson. Great to have you with us. A ton to get to tonight that will be sports on the field oriented. But, man, if there isn't off-the-field stuff that dominates our conversation on most nights, Ben, here's one that we really don't want to have and it's not directly sports, and it's mostly news today, but it's something we certainly want to mention at the top. Our friends in Kansas City, we're sending out our thoughts and prayers to them this evening on a day that was supposed to be filled with fun and tremendous memory, celebrating the Chiefs' third Super Bowl championship in five years at the parade in downtown Kansas City. It, of course, ends like most of them do, Ben, at the Kansas City Union Station, but Gunshots would rain in the final moments of the celebration. Several victims, and my goodness, we just want to send our our, our deepest thoughts to and prayers to those folks here tonight, Ben. And it it's just it tends to happen at these events where you just you it's the furthest thing from your mind. But I guess we're unfortunately reminded too often that we we need to be aware of things like this man it doesn't it doesn't matter where you're at or what you're doing or what you're acknowledging or celebrating or if you're learning or if you're if you're practicing your faith or or just going to work Ben it just doesn't matter it it happens and uh it happened at a, on a day that was supposed to be a, a celebratory one there in KC it's surreal to see um and good to be with you, Brendan. I apologize for how my voice sounds tonight. I'm a little under the weather, um, but I sound much worse than I actually feel. But this was, uh, man, I've, I've been a little off the grid today um, and was actually having a conversation with a family member who lives in Overland Park. And I, I made a joke, oh, I figured you'd be at the Chiefs Parade that was earlier this afternoon and to come in and check my my phone um, hours later, and see what happened here. It makes your your stomach drop. I could have had could have had family there. Um, I certainly probably did have friends there. We probably all knew some people who right. who went. Um, we'll see how this news comes out. But reports this afternoon that uh, that one is dead. That up to fifteen, maybe more, were injured, and that there are multiple people in custody. That's from the Associated Press. They start to sort out what happened here, but. It's, it's tragic that we now live in a place where it's you have to think about what could go wrong when you go to a big event, um, and it's happening all over our country. It's sad. It makes you angry. It, it, it's, you, can't, you can't understand it. But this day that's supposed to be this great celebration of this football dynasty, and we should be talking about how, you know, Pacheco was carrying around a live goat and... Travis Kelsey was was pulling you know cardboard cutouts of his shirtless brother out of the crowd and having a good time. Instead, it's national news for being yet another tragedy. So it's uh, God. I'm, I hope they found the folks who did it. I hope they punish them and put them away forever. And I hope that uh, that some of the numbers that we see are stopped there and don't continue to grow. But man, it's just it's like you can't have something nice anymore because it's just uh somebody's just gonna have to show up and ruin it and it's 
sad. It certainly, heart goes out to all the folks there, and it's, it puts a damper on, on what should have been a very, very fun day for Kansas City. So again, our, our thoughts and prayers, our hearts to go out to uh, all the victims in Kansas City tonight. We will leave it there and take a break and recalibrate and talk some sports when we come back after this, the big sports show on a Wednesday night on the Big 550 KTRS. All right, we continue here on this Wednesday night, the big sports show on the Big 550 KTRS. Brendan Weesey, sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Ben Fredrickson. We can't officially say, I think, now that we get into pitchers and catchers reporting and working out, as they did today, Ben, baseball season is here. And the Cardinals down in Jupiter. I know you'll be down there in a few weeks, although it feels a little bit like Jupiter around St. Louis today. It felt like it for much of yesterday as well. Fantastic spring-like temperatures. Getting you ready for baseball, fired up for the start of the season. Although, Ben, I don't know how fired up I would be to buy one of the new jerseys that they have. What is, God, they look awful. I know I think Miles Michaelis, his jersey went viral yesterday in some of the picks, and then I saw a picture of Kyle Gibson on the mound, and it was sort of a more of a, a, a distant shot, and you could you could see the way the entire uniform was put together, and the number and the and the lettering on the name is so hard to read. It's just awful. I, I I'm trying to figure out. And I've heard from. You've heard some reports that maybe the jerseys are more breathable. Maybe they're going to be cooler for the players. I guess that could be good. But to me, Ben, the stitching on the back would have no bearing on whether or not the jersey is cooler or not. That That's the thing I have the most problems with. And to me, what makes a, a jersey stand out, it's the number on the back. It's the lettering on the name. It's a big part of it. They've just absolutely butchered it, in my estimation. It looks terrible. I mean, <clears throat> how it tells you something that Cardinals fans are able to agree on something, and that uh, what, what's the one thing they can agree on is that these look awful. And <laughs> this is a byproduct of Major League Baseball, Nike teaming up with, I think, fanatics. Is it fanatics uniforms. Yeah, yeah, and they they they're kind of this Nike vapor elite treatment they're supposed to be very light but they look cheap and they look like the, i mean in all seriousness they look like some of the game day handouts that you get at bush stadium where you think that looks nice for it being free and having like a sponsor stuck to it <laughs> yeah. um the only person who's saying good things about them are the nike sponsored athletes who collect a check from nike that includes nolan arenado um, and Ronald Acuna Jr. Credit to Miles Michaelis for saying what everybody was thinking. These look terrible, and uh, they look—they don't look like they, sh- they, they should be in the big leagues. Um, the Cardinals are going to be wearing these all throughout spring training <clears throat> because their spring training red jerseys have been basically shelved because they're getting the the uh, City Connect jerseys this year, which who knows what those will look like now that we've seen these. Um, they're going to have, I think, for the Lou 
all over them, which I'm sure will generate a lot of emails to my email inbox. Those are like a rare wear type of things. These whites and grays, they're their normal uniforms, and the names are shorter and kind of squattier, and they just look like they look like knockoffs. They look like totally. The, the they look like the kind of the kind of uniform jerseys you buy um, out of the back of somebody's trunk <laughs> um, next to the stadium, and I, it's a really. But they're not going to change it. This is it is what it is. I guess our eyes will get used to it, but this isn't the Cardinals choosing to do this. In fact, I think the Cardinals fought to keep some of the stitching look appearance on the patches that are on the front. Um, they, you know, for years had that authentic kind of sewn-in look to the, the birds so. on the pad, and yeah. they were able to fight, I think, to get that back, but it still doesn't look quite right. I think people are going to notice a difference, and if it were any other team, people probably wouldn't care, but the Cardinals had one of the coolest, most iconic, best uniforms in all of Major League Sports, and when you start to mess with that, people get mad, and I don't blame them. And I guess the the best way to make everyone involved reconsider what they're doing is to not buy the new ones. Is when when they're made available through MLB Shop or the Cardinals website or down there at Bush Stadium, Ben, don't buy them. Don't buy them. They look like trash. Don't buy them. And maybe they'll start to reconsider when they look at the bottom line and see, why is our merchandise sales down so dramatically when it comes to jerseys? Oh, yeah, that's why. Yeah, great point. Maybe we'll move the, the needle a little bit. The players barking about them won't change anything. Um, and, and fans complaining on social media won't change anything. But even like the, the, the touch that some people didn't know about on the kind of the deep front um, corner of the uniforms, there used to be the players' names stitched in. I mean, it was like a cool thing the Cardinals would do, and I don't even think they can do that on these uniforms. I don't think the material would allow for it. So for folks who are like, what is going on here? What, why do those look so different? Yes, they have changed, and uh, if you are uh, if you want to get mad about it, then you can get mad at the Cardinals, but it's actually not. It's actually not their fault, and I would imagine Bill with the Third, who Bill with the Third is as tuned in and as interested in protecting the look of the Cardinals logo and branding as probably anyone ever. It's one of his passions. Um, I, I would think this is really bothering him more than he can probably say. I would, I would think so. Now, the Cardinals. Obviously not the only team, but this is not every major league team, Ben. Am I correct in that assessment, or or, or is it everybody? Well, not every team. No, no. This is the new major league jersey. I mean, these are the these are the new authentic. Um, you know, these are the these okay. are the major league uniforms now. So um, they are going to be um, probably you know most teams are going to have some sort of new look to to their different uniforms. Um, the Cardinals are one of this year's teams getting a. City Connect jersey. A lot of other teams have had them already, right? Um, but the Cardinals, we have not seen that yet. We know there's going to be more red in it, and I, I would guess, I would think it's going to have that for the Lou, uh, some sort of phrasing, um, which uh, hopefully they look better than these things. Cool. But right now, I'm not holding my breath. No, and and, and this is not just an, an ugly spring training jersey. It's not like the red jerseys they've worn. For the last several years at spring training, like this is, this is not going to improve when they take the field in Los Angeles in a month and a half. No, um, these are their 
home whites and their road grays. Brutal. Um, they're wearing them for exhibitions, uh, exhibition games this spring. Um, but these are their these are their these are their uniforms, as I understand them, um, also for for the season. So I think that uh, I think these are these are they're wearing them. You know, for it used to be that um, the Cardinals would wear the spring reds because they were for spring only, and that's how they treated them. That was kind of a Mike Matheny decision. He didn't feel like it was right or appropriate for people to wear the major league uniform in spring training if they never made the major league debut. Um, but uh, that's going away now because they're, they had to table the Reds, the spring training Reds, to get the, um, the city connects. So these, uh, these, uh, these home whites and road grays are going to be their, their uniforms both at spring training, but also, uh, but also when the season counts. All right. Well, that, like I said, kind of a bummer, but we'll see how they look when they take the field for real, maybe in spring training coming up here on the 24th. And then obviously the season opener kind of early March the 28th in LA against the Dodgers. Now your boy, Derek Gould covers the Cardinals for the post dispatch with an interesting story right out of the box here today, Ben, that the Cardinals might be considering a six-man rotation at the start of the season. And we haven't dug too much into this, but Cardinals, this is not normal, certainly by any means. You're starting early, and you play for eight straight days to begin the season without a day off. There are teams that would have two or three days off. In those first eight days in years gone by, not the Cardinals. Their first day off won't come until the day after the home opener on April the 4th, and then they'll play five more games in a row after that. So, Ben, there would be a need, I would think, to have reinforcements ready to go at the drop of a hat and maybe just line them up six in a row to begin the season after your Big Five and help me out here, Ben, lining up this big five, that being Sonny Gray, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, Miles Michaelis, and Steven Matz. Am, am I right in that assessment? And then possibly a Matthew Liberator or Zach Thompson as that magical number six starter. Yeah, that would be, I think Zach would have done the most through the past season to earn that shot, but spring could factor into that. Um, the Cardinals say every Spring, but they could use a six-man rotation, and then they don't. So I would take not not that Derek is not correct in writing that they're considering it. They do consider it every spring, and they don't do it. Um, now maybe this is a time to to change that. I don't I don't know. To me, if Stephen Matz, if you want to give Stephen Matz as many starts through what could be the most important part of your season as you know, Zach Thompson, then you should have gone and gotten Jordan Montgomery is kind of how, how I view that a little bit. But uh, the point of the how the point of the difficulty of the launch is, is legitimate. I don't know that enough people are realizing how hard the Cardinals start of the season is. Yeah, they got to play the Dodgers in L.A., but it doesn't stop after that. They go and play Mike Schilt's Padres. Yeah, yeah. And what's going to be a very 
you know, interesting series. They come back and they they got to play tough teams. I mean, they're playing teams that are that are coming off of postseason appearances. They're playing Skip Schumacher's Marlins. They're playing, you know, they're playing Phillies. They're, they're not. They don't play a bad team until they play the A's. Yep, mid April. I think that's their that's their only legitimately bad team until you know we're talking a couple months into the season. So if if they feel like that will that will help kind of spread the the work around, so be it. But to me, if, if they're if they're justifying a six man rotation, they are opening themselves up to people saying, "Why didn't you keep going when you were building this rotation?" Um, I think that's going to be a fair thing. I'll be surprised if they do a six man. I wouldn't be shocked if they do a occasional spot start if they give Zach Thompson that. That hey, it's a heavy week. You're getting to start here. You're getting to start there. Um, that to me is not a six-man rotation. A six-man rotation is when you legitimately have six and you roll them, or something close to it. And they they've talked about this every spring, and we haven't actually seen them do it. Um, so it would be interesting if they they decided to make that change now. And Ben, is it fair for me to say, if you're the Cardinals and you immediately put it out there. We're thinking about a six-man. And you've gone out and you've acquired three starting pitchers this offseason. If you immediately say, yeah, maybe a six-man rotation, to me, you're not displaying a ton of confidence in this pitching staff that you've reassembled. Well, I I think the, the main thing is who are going to have the starts and who are going to have the innings when it's all said and done. Because that is that's going to show you who was healthy, who was trusted, and who was available. Um, your six-man rotation it can be used a lot of different ways. Potentially, you can divvy up the starts evenly between the six members, or you can have a couple guys that are that are not getting as much opportunity as others. And I would think that this isn't the Cardinals thinking they're going to scale back. You know they're veteran starters, but that maybe they're going to, you know, put uh, put a little bit less on the plate of a guy like Stephen Matz. Maybe who's coming back from from you know a, a weird season last season. I don't think anybody can rightfully expect Stephen Matz to be able to give you 200 innings. He can talk about it, but that doesn't mean he's going to be able to do it. So maybe you try to instead of having a guy run out of steam. At the most critical part of the season, maybe you try to ease him into things a little bit and give a little more opportunity to somebody who could be having to fill for the rotation anyway. You just kind of spread the love around a little bit through the bottom part of your rotation. It makes sense, but you're right. In, in, in doing that, you were kind of being candid about the reality you don't quite have a, a true five. And I think the Cardinals left themselves a little short in that. Um, and and this would I think in some ways be acknowledging acknowledging a little bit um, if it only is for the opening weeks of the season and then they uh, then they back off then maybe maybe it's a little different again they've talked about this but I I think there's a big difference between talking about it and committing to it in part because the veteran guys they've added they're gonna they're gonna want the ball they're gonna want a normal rotation. They're going to want normal, traditional roles, and and I think that with with what the Cardinals have talked about of wanting that 
quality starts to get up and filling their rotation with guys they think can provide them, I think it would be maybe a little bit of mixed messages to pivot off of that and to go with a true sixth man. But we'll see if they uh, if they if they indeed have to do that. If they do, I would like to see Zach Thompson get that first shot instead of Matthew Libertor, unless you're going to try to like, piggyback those two. I'd love. I mean, I'd love for Zach Thompson, Ben to wow us over this next month and a half that six-man rotation, five-man rotation, whatever, he should be a starter, and he should be one right now. And and he can't – he's not in position to make that statement right now, but, I, but maybe he can in late March. Maybe he's done enough in spring training to, to force his way – into having a higher leverage spot, and I say that higher leverage in the rotation, not in the bullpen on this ball club, because I think it's a fool's errand to think the five that you have there are going to roll out there and pitch every game. Man, there's going to be attrition on this staff. You can almost guarantee it. So, yeah, I'm excited about Zach Thompson, but at the same time, I'm bummed that there's absolutely zero confidence, and rightfully so, that Matthew Liberator is ready to make a step. I mean, he's been given a, he's been given Ben a good deal of opportunities now, and I want to say he's had one, maybe two starts where he's shown what he's capable of. And other than that, it's just it hasn't worked out. And you spent a lot of capital, in terms of player capital, to bring Matthew Liberator here, and you've got to find a way to make it work for this guy. And he's a one-time top prospect. He's no longer a prospect, Ben. He needs to be a player, and he needs to be a big league player. And yeah, I'm not there. I don't have the confidence that he's ready to make that next step, Ben, but he should be. This should be his time. He doesn't have to be an ace. Heck, probably doesn't even have to be a mid-rotation guy yet. But at the very least, Matthew Libertor should be showing he's capable of being a number four or five starter, and he hasn't done that yet. Yeah, I think Zach Thompson has passed him by. Yes, yes. That next man up, and that's not probably what most people would have predicted um, when they were super high on on Libertor. To me, <laughs> excuse me, this is the season where Libertor either proves he can fill a spot in the rotation if one is created, or you have to really legitimately say, okay, it's time to get the best out of him as a reliever. This, you can't go on three seasons of what is he can he be a starter is he a reliever like he's to the point now where it's time to get get what you can out of him and if that's as a bullpen guy with a nasty curveball and the velocity upticks when he's in there then so be it but you only get so many t- chances as being a, a future rotation guy before you're a bullpen guy and the door closes and i think he's kind of at that cusp i think zach has done more to think it convince people it could swing both ways so big big spring for Matthew Libertor I think hey just to point out something we touched on that I don't think people are paying attention to this start of the schedule Dodgers road Padres road Miami home Philly home Arizona road okay then you get a breather a series against the A's but it's on the road after that Milwaukee home Arizona again home. Then you go to, then you go have to play the Mets, um, and that's the that's the start of your schedule for 
the bulk of it. I mean, there's not a breather. There's not a there's not a rest. That, that's through the start of May, and then you got to come home and play the Brewers, and that's mid May, May twelfth. That's the start of your schedule. So, if you're not ready to roll, come out spring, or if you don't have, you know, if you don't have your your cylinders firing, this team could be in a bad way in a hurry coming off of a last place finish. No, very difficult schedule. The the days of getting to cruise through all of those the expanded NL Central slate where you get to play the Pirates and the Reds or the Brewers being down or the Cubs being down. It always felt like there was this cushion for the Cardinals by playing in the NL Central. You just don't have that now. I will say the month of July looks somewhat beneficial from a scheduled perspective. Pirates, Nationals, Road, Royals, Cubs, home. Braves in the middle, but then the Pirates again and the Nationals again. You get them at home before you play the defending World Series champion at Texas Rangers. Rangers won the World Series. I'm not crazy, right? I, I'm not delusional. Are they Are they our World Series champion, Ben? Or was I dreaming? They're defending, they're yes, defending World Series they are. champions, I believe. They'll be at, uh, at Bush at the end of July. So that's one and maybe manageable month, but yet, especially at the start, Ben, there is... Nothing where you say the Cardinals get to feast on these weak ball clubs. There just uh, aren't that many. Yeah, I would say you get one one series that looks like a guaranteed win on paper, and it's at Oakland, um, and and it's on the road. And other than that, you've got teams that were mostly in the playoffs last year. So then you play a bunch of road games, play a bunch of emotional games against Skip and the gang, against Shilty. This is a big test for this team right out of the gate. And we'll see how they manage it coming up here, and we'll have a ton of time to talk Cardinals and spring training throughout these uh, next several weeks on the Big 550 KTRS. Let's take another commercial break. Other things pending and breaking today, some interesting news. Uh, Individuals that have been fired. Uh, I've got two. One I didn't tell Ben about. And uh, another in the world Wait, of college one, basketball. One of them, it, it, is one of them me? No, no, nor oh, me. Okay, no, nobody that we know per <laughs> se. Maybe well, it's one, one, one guy we know, kind of. Uh, I'll tell you next when, when we continue here in the Big Five Fifty. Ben still works here, I promise. So do I. <laughs> Back here for our final segment of the Big Five Fifty KTRS. I mentioned before the break a uh, couple firings happening today, and one that I. I, I didn't preface for Ben before we started the show that I, I wanted to mention. Uh, and I'll mention right out of the box here. Ben, we talked a lot about how it it was interesting to see former Mizzou defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes taking, uh, helping to take the 49ers all the way to the Super Bowl again. Well, uh, Steve Wilkes is, uh, again, looking for a job. Fired today by the 49ers after taking uh at least being a big part of a team that went back to the big game kind of crazy Ben and a, a wild ride for a, a gentleman that I I still can't believe was actually the defensive coordinator for the 49ers after he helped run a defense that was dead last in college football just about in every meaningful category when he was at Mizzou a couple of years back but found his way back to the pros. It, uh, it it looks like, Ben, even getting to the Super Bowl, not enough for Steve Wilkes to keep his job in San Francisco. 
I don't get it, man. And, look, I thought Steve Wilkes was a disaster as Mizzou's coach, uh, defensive coordinator. He was. But how can you argue with what he did for San Francisco this season? And unless I'm mistaken, didn't San Francisco actually play pretty good defense against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl? And wouldn't we mostly all agree that the reason, the biggest reason the 49ers lost this game is Shanahan decided to bet against Patrick Mahomes scoring a touchdown to to not get the ball back. Um, took the ball first in a situation where he could have had it second with a chance to win the game going for a two-point conversion. I don't think it was Steve Wilkes that made that call. I don't think it was Steve Wilkes who was caught on camera um, by NFL Films saying he didn't know the rules of overtime like multiple 49ers offensive players did. Maybe Steve Wilkes was the problem, was part of the problem, but that's the kind of a that's a head coaching problem more than anything else. This this has scapegoat written all over it, and I think it in part shows to some degree probably why why Shanahan has got some of the issues that the 49ers have had under him. It's like if, if the head coach doesn't take the blame for something, um, and he's looking for somebody to throw under the bus, that's part of the problem here. So I don't get it, man. That decision in overtime is one of the dumbest decisions I've seen made in terms of managing a game in a long time. To bet that Patrick Mahomes wasn't going to find a way to beat you in that spot, um, I don't think they knew. That. I, they can say whatever they want. I don't think they understood the rule. Um, and I think that's a way more egregious mistake than anything Steve Wilkes can be blamed for this season. Yeah, really odd. And I'll be honest, in watching that on Sunday night, Ben, I was asking, I I texted Martin that night. It's like, okay, wait a minute. Had that clock run down in overtime and the Chiefs had not scored the touchdown or kicked a field goal yet, was the game over? No, it wasn't. They just switched sides of the field and continued the game until that their first possession ended. Right. It clear now. It's okay for me not to be completely up to date on. In fact, sure. it's the first playoff game <laughs> that's been played under those new rules. But as an NFL head coach, you probably needed to be aware of exactly how this was going to go down. I, I can't. When you understood the rules and you looked back, at, there's just no way that they knew what they were doing. You listened to a lot of these players are now all these players have podcasts now which is interesting um but they're all like so shocked that the 49ers did it because you're you're actually when both teams are guaranteed a shot you're giving by taking the ball first you're giving your opponent the kill shot and you know the chiefs had talked for months about they wanted to be in that spot because they knew they were, if they got if the 49ers would have had a touchdown and had the, the PAT then the Chiefs are going to go for two to win the game to not give the ball back. And the whole point of that is you don't give the ball back. You want to have the hands, your hands, you want to have your fate in your hands with the ball in your quarterback's hands if the game's going to be decided. And the 49ers did the opposite of that. Um, it's it's borderline unforgivable, and uh, I don't think firing Steve Wilkes is going to change anybody's mind or, or change the discussion at all. Really... Really strange move today made uh, Steve Wilkes out as the defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers. Another firing today, and I'm going to use this not to necessarily, this is not framing a narrative of, of 
of this particular team. I'm not sure how many folks are really amped one way or the other. But an interesting firing today in the Big Ten in college basketball. Chris Holtman out as head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes, someone that has seemingly recruited, very well recruited this area pretty well. I'm pretty sure uh, E.J. Liddell was a Chris Holtman recruit. Indeed, he was. And a, a Buckeyes team that made some pretty good runs that that 2020 team that got banged because of COVID may be one of Holtman's better teams. Uh, his success in the NCAA tournament, uh, pretty middling, I'd say, for Holtman. But not a very good season last year for the Buckeyes, sub-500. And another pretty disappointing season, they were uh, beaten by Wisconsin last night in Madison, 62-54. to We don't see many of these, Ben, certainly not of a high-profile nature like Chris Holtman. You know, a lot of people talking about the certain situation over at St. Louis University right now, but here's a, here is a mid-season firing for you, and it is going to leave a, a very attractive opening in the world of college basketball here in the days and weeks to come. This is a top-flight job, and Ohio State does have a new athletics director. Uh, at least they will here soon. I believe it's Russ Bjork from down at Texas A&M coming up to Ohio State. So Holtman does not keep his job there, but it will be some interesting fallout from this, Ben. Yeah, Russ Bjork can hire uh, Jimbo Fisher. To coach uh, basketball and pay him a uh, god awful amount of money and give him the biggest, uh, most regrettable contract in uh, college sports. Ross Bjork's a former Missouri guy. Um, how he keeps falling up into jobs by giving up some horrendous contracts, I don't know. But now all eyes will be on him as he tries to hire a basketball coach. And um, an interesting timing uh, of this, you usually don't see these kind of like mid-season firings very right, often in right. college basketball. They're usually they're usually more timed up with the end of the season, so that's a little odd to me. Um, maybe a little bit of a new AD trying to put his fingerprint on things, but uh, for Dennis Gates and his staff, you got to view it as a win, exactly for the reasons you mentioned. Ohio State's done good in recruiting St. Louis talent, no uh, football and basketball. And anytime there's a change, maybe it gives you a, gives you a little bit more of a window to to go get somebody. The problem with right now is Mizzou doesn't have a ton to sell in 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 its basketball season either. Um, it, still, the recruiting has been very handsome for Dennis Gates and his staff. But um, not surprised this happened. The timing of it, I thought, was a little odd, though. Some would say, Ben, it's a mega mind move by Mizzou to have such a poor year and probably keep <laughs> Dennis Gates' name off the hot board there for Ohio State. That's right. Yes, it's all preordained. We have not see you and I will talk every inch of Mizzou basketball and, and this is the, the kind of analysis that people need. This was in the cards to keep I think the twenty five and a half million dollar buyout uh, might have a little more to do with it than uh, than anything else. But uh um, but, you know, you never know. Uh, Dennis Gates will not be the top name on Ohio State's hot board, whether he should be or shouldn't be. I'll be curious to see 
which direction they go, and also how that trickle-down effect happens. Because Ohio State's an interesting um, an interesting school because it really is, I think, one of the few that just until recently with basketball has been a true kind of annually impressive football and basketball program. It's They've had two sports success and been the biggest revenue sports pretty annually for a long time, and you look around, and it's not easy to do. I mean, look at Mizzou. It seems like whatever one team does well, the other one has to suffer. It's like a rule. Um, it's not, of course, but Ohio State has done a good job for a long time of succeeding in both, and uh, they're trying to get back to that. But where do they go? And Do they kind of take a more modern look and go younger, or do they feel like they need to go get somebody who is kind of a little more proven that can handle the, the spotlight of, of what can be a pretty pressurized place? So. An interesting, an interesting opening here with a lot of time to talk about it. Yeah, unless they have somebody they're going to poach during the season, which would be even more fascinating. Yeah, it would be. It uh, would be a, a shocker, no question about I'd it. Watch Chris, I'd watch Chris. I'd watch Chris Beard. That yeah, down at I, Ole Miss. That, I, mean, he, I with the season Ole Miss is having, um, with uh, how things you know he's kind of put the the the, the Texas flop behind him. Prosper has no problem hiring people with uh, with some, uh, some some bumps on their resume if he thinks they can win, and uh, that would be a name with what Ole Miss is doing, and they're on a tournament trajectory. That would be a name that would uh, I would be worried right now if I was in Oxford. Uh, yeah. I might try to get work, get working on a contract <laughs> extension. Um, that's looking ahead. I for a second look back at that 2017 hiring cycle that brought Holton into Ohio State. It also brought Archie Miller to Indiana. He's long since been fired. And that Big Ten hiring cycle also included Brad Underwood to Illinois. Those schools, well, they've already moved on for the hires. Illinois, you know, Underwood, you're still waiting for the success in the postseason. But I, I've always said I think that's a short-sighted criticism because uh, eventually – if you keep getting there, if you keep getting bites at that apple, you're going to break through. And maybe this is that year for Illinois. And I, I think it's it, it. Look back, and Illinois had sub 500 records underwards first two years there, and then it has gotten better each and every season. Again, not deep runs yet, but I think that's coming. And the Underwood hire there at Illinois, Ben, it, it just it looks even better when framed after a move like today by Ohio State. I think he's one of the finest coaches in the country, and I, I think using the word underrated applies to Brad Underwood here as well. Yeah, Brad is waiting for that instantly tournament success, as you said, but he's managed to avoid a collapse, which is not, you know, look at what's going on with Missouri right now. Look at what's going on with Ohio State. Um, he struggled at Illinois in years one, in years two, and since then they've had at least 20 wins every season. They've been conference tournament champions. They've been regular season champions. They've been in the NCAA tournament three consecutive seasons. They have been ranked as high as second in the AP poll. Um, they're always ranked. They rarely, if ever, fall out of the top 25. And maybe the year that they would have had their best shot at the NCAA tournament was the year it got canceled due to COVID. Um, they may have won it that year. Who knows? They may win it this year. Um, I kind of thought this Darren Shannon stuff would derail them. It's done. It hasn't done that. No. 
and it may might have even made them a more effective team because some other guys had to dig deep while he was gone. Um, he's a, I like the way he coaches. I like to watch him coach. I like the style that he wants his teams to play. I like that he's still a hard coach. He yells at his guys. He he gets after guys, but they they take it. And when he's he's gone through periods of time where he had guys he couldn't coach and they've left, and he hasn't skipped a beat without him. So I love I've liked Brad ever since he was ever since he was way back at Stephen F. Austin. I can remember being at Tennessee covering the Volunteers, writing about how they needed to hire this guy. Um, and Illinois was really smart too, and I think it's a decision that looks really good now. It has a chance that you look even better when he's going to make that inevitable tournament run. Yep. Um, I don't know if it'll happen this year, but if he keeps building teams like this, if he keeps recruiting like he does, it will come at some point. Ben Fredrickson, Brendan Weesey with you. Ben, what are you cooking up at the paper right now? Well, I just sent out a, uh, a posted a new five things at the Post-Dispatch website, stltoday.com today, about uh, something I'm sure we'll talk more about in the coming days. Why I think there are good signs coming that A.J. McCarron will be back as a Battlehawks quarterback. The Battlehawks are down to one QB on the roster. McCarron was released today by the Bengals. I think it's just a matter of time until the Alabama Star is back to be a starter again with the Battlehawks. Folks can check that out at stltoday.com, along with another Kevin Demoff rant, but I won't spare them <laughs> the, uh, the details there because they heard it last night here. Well, we'll, uh, we'll look for that, sir, and we'll do some winners and losers tomorrow night. Sounds good, man. Hopefully my voice will be more of a winner uh, tomorrow <laughs> than it is uh, a loser today. I'm sorry for for the, uh, for the uh, lacking lungs today, folks. We'll get better, buddy. I'll see you down at soccer tomorrow. Uh, we've got more coming up next hour. In fact, Ben will uh, we'll hang out with me a little while longer. We'll have a chance to talk it over with Hall of Fame football coach Gary Pinkle, now on the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. Skip Berkmeyer with me talking some golf. Riviera starts tomorrow. Tiger Woods is back. We'll dig into it coming up after this.